Yes, we can certainly see the growth, but I feel like there should be, you know, only more coming and it feels like a real opportunity. I think any advertiser that wants to get involved with women's sport is, is a smart advertiser. Both men and women who are fans of women's sport are more loyal, more likely to remember, more likely to recommend, more likely to buy. Like on all those different elements, there was that real positivity around fans' attitudes to those sponsors. You're listening to The Amp Amplified podcast series from Ampere Analysis, where we speak to voices in the industry about the latest innovations, trends, and important issues in the wider media sector. This episode is entitled Visibility, Sponsorship, and Media Rights, the Growth of Women's Sport in the UK. If you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the AMP. And to hear more about Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com. Welcome to the latest in the Amplified podcast series. My name is Manal Mota and I'll be your host today. Interest in women's sport in the UK has seen huge growth in the last few years. There is more content on TV and online, which has resulted in large viewing figures. The UA for Women's Euro 2020, hosted by England, is set for new record attendances with pre-sale tickets flying off the shelves. And female athletes are using their platforms to amplify their sports and engage with fans in a meaningful way. But what exactly is driving this growth and what is women's sport offering that is unique? To answer these questions and many more, I'm very excited to be joined by two guest contributors today, Jonathan Licht, Managing Director of Sky Sports, and Sue Anstis, CEO of Fearless Women and author of the book Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport, which kept me wrapped over the Christmas period. Sky Sports have always been big supporters of women's sport, be that cricket, netball or more recently football, and Jonathan has been at the helm for more than two years. During this time, they haven't shied away from partnerships with free-to-air broadcasters to grow a sport. The most notable recent example is their deal with the BBC for the Women's Super League. Sue has worked in the industry for over 30 years and has spent the last decade as a board member of the Women's Sport Trust, an organisation that seeks to grow the visibility of women's sport and hosts the award-winning podcast The Game Changers, which features trailblazing women in sport. Today, we're going to be discussing the transition women's sport has gone through in recent years, the traditional and new media in its growth, and the value it offers to sponsors, broadcasters, and advertisers. Thank you both for joining me today. Sue, I'd like to start by talking to you about the Women's Sport Trust, of which you're a board member. It was founded in 2012 with the aim of raising visibility around women's sport. Can you paint me a picture of what was happening in the industry prior to this being set up and just how transformative it's been? Yeah, of course, of course. And um, it's really interesting because it is our 10 year anniversary. So we have been reflecting a little bit on what's happened over the past decade as we look to kind of mark and celebrate that. Uh, And as you say, founded in 2012, um, Joe Bostock and Tammy Parler were behind it in the beginning and and Tammy is still CEO and, and a real driving force there. And I think at the time what was probably slightly different was that goal to convene and bring together others independently across the sports space. And at the time, I actually we reflect and look back, I guess that lack of female contracts in terms of playing contracts, it, you do forget how recent that and recently that's changed almost being paid to play professional sports across those team sports of uh, rugby and netball and cricket um, uh, and football and so on too. And, and obviously that massive, massive shift in broadcast coverage. So those are the, I guess, the, the big differences, the sponsors coming in financially. And I think that as I've reflected back is that athletes finding their voice, so female athletes, obviously it's about the coverage and funding and we're going to talk about that, but athletes not just being grateful for what they're getting, but having the confidence to stand up. And I think that's probably a shift that we've seen, more confidence around 
uh, those female athletes too. But yeah, you're you're right. It's quite remarkable, actually. I think sometimes we go along with it and it does take a moment to stop and look back and think of, of how things have really, really moved on in the last 10 years. And Jonathan, kind of staying on a similar theme, Sky Sports have been involved with women's sport for a number of years. And part of this has been working with Sue um, on the Women's Sport Collective, which I joined um, late last year and I found to be absolutely amazing as a resource. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, good morning, both. I'm very pleased to hear that you're you're a member of the network and, and part of everything that Sue and Kate are doing. That that's fantastic. Look, in terms of Sky Sports, as you said, yeah, we are long-standing commitment to women's sport in the last year. We've celebrated some of those longer partnerships. So 25 years with the ECB supporting women's cricket, and also last year celebrating a 15-year partnership with English Netball. And you know, we would love it if those partnerships are extended for decades and decades. And, but one of our more recent partnerships is with the Women's Sport Collective and with Sue, which was at the start of last year. And really, as you sort of touched on very lightly, we see that great opportunity for our teams to be part of something bigger, to be part of that network. It's a real development opportunity for our teams, whether that's a mentorship opportunity or a coaching opportunity. You know, I, I will break our first exclusive. It may be our own. It might be my <laughs> only exclusive. Sue may have lots planned, but but we, we're delighted to, to announce that we're going to be extending the partnership and hopefully being part of something that's really sort of growing and, and ha- having more impact for our teams and, and all the way across the industry. So so we're very excited. And one of the big things that we've been working, we're talking to Sue about is is an allyship program. Clearly at Sky Sports still, you know, a large proportion of our employees is is male based and actually to use the allyship program, we've seen how that can be a really important part of how we can support various networks. So that's something to focus on next year. And really what also a big part of the partnership is kind of being able to lean on the expertise of the the leaders of the collective to, to sort of really help us navigate and achieve what we're trying to do, you know. We see that they're very much aligned with our values and wanting to be positive forces. And, you know, it, it's, it's great to be part of something like this. So, yeah, onwards and upwards. I'm obviously terribly excited. I'm hoping to get to 25 years like netball. That's what we're after. But we're delighted it's been extended too. Actually, drawing on both of those answers, you know, Sue, you mentioned about um, women finding their voices, like athletes finding their voices. I kind of feel like the Women's Sport Collective helps women in business, in sport business kind of do that as well. So they actually align together quite nicely because maybe women haven't necessarily been at the forefront of both sport business and visibly in terms of the sport arena as a whole. Yeah, indeed. And, and that was very much one of the ambitions when we've researched our members was wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves as individuals, but also uniting for change and coming together. And I guess we're, you know, in the very nature of the name, the collective, but that part of, of sharing voices and hearing uh, your own thoughts and opinions amplified by others too. So absolutely. And we've got a whole range of, I guess our members are those working within the sport, but we've got female athletes as members, a lot of athletes too. So and some of those athletes coming to the end of their competitive careers and looking for careers within sport too. So yeah, absolutely right. That kind of bringing together and, and finding voice is powerful across both those organisations. So we've already touched on the importance of visibility for emerging sports and women's sport as a whole. And it's an area where Sky plays such a vital role. Jonathan, you mentioned a couple of those like really long-standing relationships, but I'm specifically thinking of the Women's Super League here. Whether this is through editorial visibility, where you're showing matches on Sky Showcase for free, or the deal that you have with the BBC, I'd just like you to tell us a little bit more about how that BBC deal came about and how does Sky benefit from it? Yeah, yeah, happy to, happy to talk about a deal. It's also one that we're, we're very pleased with how it started. It was our first year with the WSL uh, starting in September last year. 
it was an opportunity that we'd had our eyes on for a while. It was a multifaceted opportunity. We'd, we'd seen and admired the, the growth of the, of the WSL and felt that it was, a, it was something that we really wanted to be a part of and something that we felt we could also sort of help to accelerate. You know, for us, first and foremost, it was a great opportunity to strengthen our position in football. It's, it's, you know, it's a sport that we're most synonymous with. And actually, we really felt that it would be a really important part of our portfolio, how we use the weekends, how we can drive kind of the follow through audience from a Super Sunday into a game like we had last weekend, Manchester City, Arsenal. We felt that was a real unique opportunity for us and, and, and for the sport. We wanted to be part of that growth story. There had been a lot of growth, but we felt that there, you know, there was more to come. And, and I guess a really big part of it was was finding a committed partner, and that that's kind of a, a two way thing. So we found it in the FA and the WSL someone that you know was really going to commit to what they needed to do and what they needed to achieve. And from our side, we were able to demonstrate our commitment to them and to the league. And you know that was that you know we would put the production values right on the absolute top of of everything that we're doing. That we would commit behind the marketing and promotion. And I think you know in any of these. Um, Partnerships, you know, there's a there's a lot of talk and there's always a lot of positive talk, but really you've got to sort of follow that up with action. And I think that that's that's what we've been very keen to do in terms of the role of the BBC. You know, often this was a process that the FA and the WSL ran. They were looking for a particular mix. Um, we were pretty eyes wide open going into it, what they were looking for, and actually we felt. Um, that we could play a very suitable role within that, and, and you know, and and work very well with the BBC as we did on the hundred as well last summer. So you know, it, all in all, so so far really good, and and you know, again, we're just hoping for, for lots, lots more. And it's not just, um, I suppose, the BBC who's getting involved in all these partnerships. You know, last year we saw YouTube once again step up its role um, in women's sport, especially with their deal with DAZN and the Women's Champions League. So just how important is this access across both traditional and digital media in growing fan bases, both within football, but outside of it as well? Yes, yeah, so, so important, isn't it? I think that opportunity to reach uh, the new audience that maybe haven't been exposed to women's sport either before or in a while and perhaps don't haven't had the opportunity to see how extraordinary that sport is. So I think we've definitely seen that, haven't we, with the numbers around the 100 this summer, WSL, um, the rugby in the autumn, so getting that on free to air definitely reach those new audiences. I guess my little caveat there is I think it is so important, but it's also about the quality of that coverage. And I think Jonathan there talked about production values and marketing promotion that we see Sky do, you know, it's the absolute pinnacle of, of doing that well. And I think sometimes um, without that investment, it's fantastic that it, the games can be streamed and they're accessible, but without that investment in terms of the number of cameras and the pundits and the analysis and capture everything that goes around that marketing, um, I think that sometimes the product isn't seen. So we know that the sport is fantastic, but it's the production itself. And, and that's always my concern. I'm a massive women's rugby fan and I work really hard to stream it at the weekends or, you know, and now fantastic now that it's a little bit on BBC. Um, but there is a frustration when you when you watch it and I know how brilliant and there's some amazing games in the Prem 15 being played right now, really competitive. Um, but the, the if someone came across it, you know, naturally, or if they could find it, that'd be the first thing. If they found it and they came across it, actually, they may not feel the qualities there because of everything around it. And at the end of the day, it's entertainment, isn't it, that we're after? Um, so I guess that would be my piece. I think it's really important that it's free to air. It's reaching this audience. But when they get there, I want them to see a fantastic product too. And that isn't always the case. Also, I guess if you look at all the 
Sky did. Sorry, it's not just picking up Sky here, but all that we did about the. I'm a big netball fan too. So last season, netball Super League, just that quality of stuff on YouTube. But it isn't just that it was there and streamed. It was the analysis, the commentary, the everything around it. So um, that's what excites me is the stuff when it's free and available, uh, or it's available, but also the quality of, of product matches the quality of play. Thank you, Sue. I don't 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 feel ashamed to be supporting Sky. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just just to sort of pick up on that and look, it, it, it is super important. And from from our perspective, there's 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 lots of different ways into promotion and marketing these days. You know, people often associate marketing thinking about a billboard or or an advert. But you know, there's so much. There's so many more sort of clever ways to reach. Um, reach audiences and that's something that we really want to focus on in some of the partnerships whether it's netball they'll have their networks they can talk to certain audiences it's really sort of to use though to use those and sort of to build on it so so really to think about sort of promotion and marketing more broadly um that, that we, we we think that's something that's you know sky we sort of take the responsibility seriously of of the size of our voice and we want to really use that positively but but there are lots of different places to play and and to sort of put the right messages out there and and just sort of you know the production point it is something it is a sort of point i wouldn't say a point of difference because lots of people in sport produce sports of very high quality but i think i'd like that in in sky sports we really sort of if we're going to get involved with something we're going to we're going to get involved to a level and, and the you know, over the last years, particularly in the netball, that you know the the team have really worked so hard to produce all those games when you know during the COVID and during the pandemic when it, when it really you know I think they sort of went above and beyond. I think it was 112 games in the end because we lost a couple from the season. It was it was a huge effort, and the, and the team deserve all the plaudits and credit they get. And again, working with a good partner. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I um, admittedly will say probably about until about 12 to 18 months ago, I hadn't really watched a lot of women's sport. And then once the WSL came on Sky and there were free games being shown both on the BBC and via Sky and actually with DAZN this year, I have watched so much more women's football and it's been so great as a result. And the production quality really does matter because I can't really tell the difference between a Premier League match versus this in terms of production. Um, and it just makes the viewing experience just so much better as a result. So Sue, in your book, you call Barclays sponsorship of the Women's Super League a watershed moment. And in December, they increased their investment even further. Getting big name sponsors is crucial if we want better pay for female athletes. And it also it trickles down to all the facilities. Um, what role does that perception of women's sport as maybe more family friendly and accessible with the players have in attracting those different types of sponsors than maybe men's sport? Yeah, I think it's it's very, very important, as you point out. And I, um, I was down at Lewis FC, actually, at the weekend, uh, watching a women's game and just reflecting on the family and the children and how, you know, how friendly and welcoming uh, that is. And I know, so I guess from first experience being at the netball too, how, how different it feels to be in that crowd. And I think that does make a difference to sponsors. I think it's far, I think that's important, the family friendly element, but I think it's far more than that for women's sport. I think, and what's fantastic now is we're seeing the research that proves what we know anecdotally anyway, but the fact that it's seen as more progressive, more inclusive, and and so many brands now are needing to be seen to be uh, more socially progressive and inclusive and and, um, open to all. And I think women's sport just does that anyway. Uh, but I say that the fact that we're seeing the research that shows that um, backs up that fact too. So I think that's really important as well, that that perception, um, as you say. And the, I think the accessibility, without doubt, uh, you know, what a sponsor will get from coming to women's sport and having access to 
uh, those players and, and to engage that fan base. And as Jonathan said, there's different opportunities um, to reach. And it's not just about badging and, and awareness. It's about proper engagement uh, and, and really feeling uh, that fans believe and, and, and support the sponsors too. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really important. And I guess linking what we were just talking about, about high production values, Jonathan, with with you and Sky, I suppose advertisers also play a really big role in that because the more advertising money that's being funneled in to women's sport, the better the production values can be, the better the editorial content can be. Just linking that to what Sue was saying, what are your views on the brands who are getting involved with women's sport? And have you encountered any differences between the ones who are coming on board for women's sports versus more traditional men's sport? Uh, to full disclosure, that we, you know, the advertising side of it is not something that we spend a huge amount of time. Clearly, we see um, and all the the people that want to associate themselves with the sports and around the programming. And look, I think any advertiser that wants to get involved with women's sport is is a smart advertiser, and you know, feel like there should really be a rush. You know, be part of a growth story. You know, it's a purposeful investment, as, as Sue talked to that. And, you know, a lot of the research that, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about how can we engage uh, more female sports fans as distinct from women's sport and, how, and you know, younger sports fans. And one of, the, one of the clearest insights through there is that, you know, they want to be part or they want to associate with, with a brand that stand for something that have a purpose. And I think, you know, so that's a really clear opportunity. I think there's an opportunity to connect with with people through the through the investments and through the advertising, you know whether that's through a participation angle or an inspiration angle with these elite athletes. So you know, I, I really feel like you know, yes, we can certainly see the growth, but I I feel like there should be you know only more coming, and it feels like a real opportunity for brands and advertisers to only in, encourage them to the table if they want to come and talk to Sky to Sky Media. You know, we, we'll really sort of. We sort of lay the carpet out for them and, and then sort of show them what great opportunities there are around some of our women's sports. So one of the final big themes that I want to explore is around media rights and the value of women's sport. So the end of 2021 saw FIFA unbundle the rights for the Women's World Cup for the first time, something that UEFA has been doing for a couple of seasons now. Just how important of a step is this in elevating women's competitions? Sue, would you like to give us your thoughts on that first? It's hugely important and it is about elevating women's competition. It's also about bringing more money in. It seems like a very uh, logical piece. That's, I guess, something I felt for a long time. For me, it feels so obvious. If you separate it out, you can not double your money, but there's that whole opportunity to sell on further. And clearly with Visa already coming on board uh, in terms of being that first global partner for FIFA, that's already, and it felt like there wasn't a week went by last year. We didn't hear of UEFA announcing another new sponsor for the women's game and obviously World Rugby uh, Mastercard and others. So I, I definitely think we're we're seeing the the effect of that. And that, as you've mentioned earlier, that prize money then filters down. You know that's the the piece. And and it's been great to see that business case. And I, we mentioned this before, didn't we? In terms of fans, I know um, it's the space between's research last year, but that fans of women's sport, both men and women who are fans of women's sport, are more loyal, more likely to remember, more likely to recommend, more likely to buy. Like on all those different elements. Um, there was that real positivity around fans' attitudes to those sponsors. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important. And uh, having those major federations doing it, hopefully that will filter down to other sports teams and leagues as well too across the next the coming years. Jonathan, from a broadcaster point of view, what does that do in terms of maybe your perception of the competitions as rights become unbundled? And your, I suppose that they're probably listed events in the UK, so maybe not FIFA, but even with the Champions League, just your what, your willingness to then bid for them and, and just the desire to have them on your platforms. 
Yeah, look, I, I think from our perspective, there's probably not sort of one size fits all in this conversation. And I, I, I guess if we'd be sort of quite selfish from, from, from a Sky Sports or Sky point of view or a broadcaster point of view, it's really the the rights holder, how they choose to come to market and how they think about their sport or the rights that they want to sell. And I think the best thing that, that, that any rights holder can do is really sort of think about the market, think about the partner that, that they want to be with and, you know, and what's the best way to sort of plot that path. There's kind of two different versions that I could point to from our own experience. So if you take the ECB relationship, they're, they're, they're sort of, it's an all-in package when they come to market and then they allocate the fees effectively within that. So we're acquiring ECB rights as, you know, the, most of the rights of, of where there's a free to air package. And it's their responsibility to think about how that money should be distributed within the game. I think the problem historically certainly would have been if they'd come to market in that way and, you know, tended to be pretty competitive processes. And then subsequently they'd come along and, and run a separate tender for a package of rights, perhaps the women's cricket. That would have been a challenge historically. I guess you go to a different version of the conversation and the one we've already talked about, the, the sort of WSL. We didn't have a relationship with the FA. We weren't in a bundled relationship. So actually, that created an opportunity for us. So I think, you know, there's not kind of one version of it. I think, I think it's really up to the, as I said, the rights holders to think about what they're trying to achieve and who they want to be with and work out what the best way forward is. Now, clearly, there's more value than there's ever been in women's sports rights. So they've really sort of got to take that you know, take that seriously and sort of really take the time to work to work with the market to achieve the best outcomes. I hope that kind of makes sense from our side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so bringing maybe all of the elements that we've kind of spoken about together from sponsorship to advertising to access to players and media rights, you kind of touched on this in your previous answer, Jonathan, but do you think that women's sport currently offers better value than men's sport? Slightly, slightly controversial and contentious, I know. <laughs> There's a good question that could get me in lots of trouble. So while I will bypass the controversial response, I think, again, it kind of comes back to a little bit of a version of, of my previous answer that it kind of, there's different ways that we think about think about rights and we think about values and sort of without giving away too much, it's probably giving away nothing. We probably, there's, there's sort of three buckets that we're thinking about rights in at the moment. There's, there's the tier A rights that we have, and that's quite clear. You know, from our perspective, Premier League is is at the top. We we pay we pay a fair price for that, and you know, as a result of which we're sort of very demanding of the various returns, whether that's subscription revenues, advertising revenues, third party relationships. Then you've probably got kind of what we'd call the sort of the middle bucket, which is. Um, we describe sort of portfolio rights, so rights that support the overall mix of being a Sky Sports subscriber, whether that opens us up to a certain audience or has a very dedicated uh, niche, whether it supports one of the genre channels, how it supports the tier A. And then the third bucket is, is what we call growth rights, where those are sports where we're prepared to take a sort of a longer term view, where they think there's an opportunity for us to really sort of get invested, grow the sport, perhaps think a little bit differently about distribution, taking a bit more time to grow, perhaps there's more of a brand perspective to it. I guess within that, one of the more interesting things over the last few years is we've seen sort of growth rights within the traditional sports. So WSL within football, the 100 within cricket. Um, so sort of within all those elements, different rights are sort of serving a different purpose and, and driving different value. I think ultimately it's going to be really important that the growth rights do demonstrate that value over time because, you know, rights deals are only ever of a certain duration. And then when they come back to market, there'll be an expectation that, you know, that you'll pay more. So you do have to sort of demonstrate that value. So I think it's kind of a long way around of saying is kind of different versions. There's certainly 
through the growth that we're seeing and the growth in audience that we're seeing for some of our women's sport rights, they are really demonstrating value. But again, they're going to have to move through the phase of growing audiences to dedicated fan bases, subscribers, because that's really how we you know, go back internally and sort of de- demonstrate value and build business cases. So 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 really good kind of progress, but but still sort of more to be proven, I would say. And actually just touching on something you said there about growing audiences to, to become kind of dedicated fan bases. Do you think Sky is in a bit of a unique position where because it is a subscription channel and people will specifically be paying for football or a passion sport that they really like, there is the opportunity to grow that dedicated fan base because you already have one that's quite well engaged because they're willing to pay to access some of this sport. So if you're then moving them on to something like the WSL, you've already got all these very engaged football fans who then might become those dedicated football fans for that new growing sport. Yeah, and that that was part of the the the, the appeal again of WSL. You, you think about yeah, I was looking actually looking at the the table yesterday, the the top of the WSL table. It's fantastically close. Looks like it's going to be a really exciting running. But you know, we're talking about Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham. These are really really established football clubs on the women's side and the men's side. And you know, we have millions of people that are tuned into Sky Sports to watch Manchester United play. There is no reason why they wouldn't want to come and watch the WSL from our perspective, given the growth in quality of the product. So for us, transitioning that audience was was a big part of the appeal. But it's not just that. It's about going beyond the super fan or our super fans or serving our our kind of core fan base. And Sue talked about it earlier about when you turn up to uh, women's sports events, the crowd looks and feels slightly different. It's, It's broader in appeal. And that inclusive nature and accessibility is something that we're looking to bring more and more into Sky Sports. I guess historically, if you looked at the profile of, of people that were watching um, women's sport on, on, on Sky Sports, they would actually probably be more male. They were, they were the most dedicated of sports fans from our base. I'm not saying that women aren't dedicated sports fans, but within our base at that time, we see it with you know netball. That's a slightly different situation because it's 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 effectively with respect to a sort of standalone women's sport there's a much um, broader appeal much more sort of female bias to the audience so i think you know growing the different audiences is 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 as important but arguably more important if we think about growing our base as kind of appealing to the traditional core audience but but the kind of the great news for us is why not do both or let's try and do both and and actually Perhaps with WSL or with the 100, that accessibility or, or nature of the sport and how they set themselves up gives you an ability to, to kind of run that twin track in a way that is perhaps a little bit harder with some of the what you might call established, again, with respect sports. And Sue, so what are your thoughts on that value of women's sports and how what it provides to different players in the industry? Uh, as you might not be surprised for me to hear, I think it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for many players. I, th- I think also that piece that women's sport doesn't need to just replicate what men's sport has done before. And I think that's a really exciting component of it, whether that is the way in which we engage fans, the way in which the content is delivered. Uh, and in a way, and we're not, I'm not just talking football at all here, but if we talk football, uh, very much tied up with this is the, the rights fee that's paid for this coverage and this is how we're going to watch it. Because women's sport hasn't had the benefit of that. Actually, it can be more nimble. It can be, um, you know, a whole phrase of pivoting, but actually we haven't really got to pivot because we haven't come from a place anyway. So we have that chance to perhaps change the way the product's distributed, the way fans are engaged uh, and we use. And I know um, that kind of term, the fluid fan and who, who those fans are, the, the fan of women's sport has 
has had to look around to find the content they want to watch. You know, they have become engaged in different ways. So I do think it offers values beyond uh, the, the kind of core product, really, which is quite exciting um, moving forwards. No, look, we definitely think and agree with that, that there's a real opportunity from an accessibility point of view and, and to open themselves up to, 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 to try new things, to be innovative, to, and actually through that innovation to be inclusive, whether that's as part of the storytelling. Again, you know, we see that in, in, in the way that people want to engage with different forms of sporting contact, whether that's be the long form docs. There's just a different approach that brings in a, in a different audience. And, you know, telling the stories around the leagues is going to be a, a kind of a real opportunity for us as well. And I suppose with women's sport, that storytelling angle in order to engage those younger audiences is going to be really key because they're really like from a lot of the research Amper has done, you know, they want that authenticity. They want to know about the players. They want that accessibility, which I suppose in a in sports, which are still maybe, like you say, Sue, they haven't got this traditional background. They can be slightly more nimble and more flexible. That's going to be such a unique selling point for them. And you just look at some of the, the network girls and I was a bit on TikTok and the way they're engaging across Instagram and, and not that male athletes aren't doing that, but actually because uh, those female athletes are, are hungry for it and maybe aren't as tied as much in terms of uh, commercial agreements and, and contracts and so on and can be themselves more. So it does often feel, I think, that they're more authentic. They have got that engagement. And I think as we're beginning to see, I know there's developments this week with Instagram, isn't there? But more of the opportunity for them to monetize those fans and Web3 or whatever we're talking about in terms of uh, that kind of rapid move of of digital, uh, but that opportunity for fans to truly engage with those athletes, I think that's a really exciting opportunity on on the female sports side. So finally, we've got a really huge year coming up with the Euros being held in England and the Women's Cricket World Cup, where England obviously defending their title. What are you both most excited about with women's sport in 2022? Jonathan, do you want to go first? No, oh, no go you on. go first, Sue. <laughs> I was going to say, and I guess as you might not be surprised, but for me, I think it's a massive year for rugby. I think the Premier 15s, and it isn't like it's one thing. I think that we've got this exciting competition, Premier 15s. We've then got Six Nations in its own window. We've got the Commonwealth Games. We've got moves into the World Cup. So, so for me... I'm very excited about the future of, of women's rugby. But also, I think the big thing this year is that almost there isn't a month that won't go by without a big, whether it's Olympics, two Euros, two, the, you know, uh, Cricket World Cup, to, and then the Women's Tour de France. And, the you know, it, it's almost like the building to the World Cup. So there's this continual calendar. And I think we've seen in the past, haven't we, those big global events that get people talking. So I hope that will then feed into the quality of coverage. And we're talking broadcast here, but... Well, don't get me started on print coverage, but that is a, you know, there's lots more that could be done there too. But I think for me, the exciting um, opportunity is that it's month to month to month. It's only going to build throughout this year. And, and it's what we do on, on the back of that. Look, I, I, again, sort of almost like, so it's difficult to sort of put your finger on one thing, but a couple of the ones that have been mentioned of the Women's World Cup, the last Women's World Cup was such a breakthrough. So I think for us in terms of coverage, you know, the audience that we saw there, uh, it was the highest cricket audience we'd had in, in 2017. To see Lords absolutely full, to hear the stories of what it was like there, different sorts of crowds. Uh, I think there was such a positivity around that. You know, we're we're often repeating it on the on on our channels, and it, it makes you smile every time you see the sort of the last moments and the reaction. Look again, not a Sky Sports event, but the Euros I think is going to be um, going to be fascinating. Hopefully, England are going to go and do as well as as everyone hopes and expects, and it, it's just going to be. 
you know, we know that the audiences will be very strong on TV, but you know, how is the country going to react? Are we going to get that kind of sort of moment that we we we've we've seen over the last two or four years? Certainly, the the positive moments, anyway, rather than the sort of the reaction off the back of it. So, I think that will be fascinating to see how the sort of the country gets behind the Euros. I know that they're sort of super pleased with how ticket sales are going and seeing sort of full grounds and and everything. And then, you know, what comes off of the back of that for the WSL for us? And I think second year of the 100, again, such a massive moment last year. But this year, hopefully things will be a little bit easier. We'll get even more of the international stars coming over and playing. And again, the sort of the quality of the cricket, I think is just going to go up and up. So yeah, lots to look forward to. There definitely is. Um, Thank you both very much for that. I'm very sorry to say that that's all we've got time for today. Um, I want to thank both of my guests, Sue and Jonathan, for their time and sharing their insights on such an important topic. Sue's book, Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport, is available now to purchase and be sure to tune into her podcast, Game Changers. And if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to watch some of the WSL on Sky or the BBC and see for yourself how great it really is. As always, for more on Ampere's research and services, including further information about our upcoming sports service, head to ampereanalysis.com or get in touch by emailing info at ampereanalysis.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Amp Amplified and thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.